Welcome to the Sales Pro Chat Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association, helping sales-focused professionals discover new tools, trends, and strategies. Please welcome your host, Bill Bannum. In the May 2018 Sales Pro Chat show, we're going to hear from Neil Ryland, Chief Revenue Officer at Pecan. As the company's chief revenue officer, Neil built teams in multiple regions and oversaw the rapid expansion of a UK basement startup to a global company. Neil offers his take on managing and motivating high-performing multi-generational sales teams. Neil heads Pekin's commercial operations for the company's London offices. The team Neil has assembled leads the transformation of how businesses understand and improve employee engagement through their partnership with Pekin. We hope you enjoy this interview focused on getting more from your sales team. And remember to join us for the associated Sales Pro Chat Twitter chat happening on Thursday, May 31st at 1 p.m. Eastern. For sales professionals, team leaders, and organizations across the country, the Canadian Professional Sales Association is your partner in building knowledge and skills to improve sales performance. The CPSA is the advocate for excellence in sales. We invest resources in programming, curriculum development, and professional designations to help individuals and companies become more successful through effective sales. We connect employers and employees, business with academia, and the private sector with government to advance the sales profession and improve Canadian competitiveness. Learn more at cpsa.com. And remember to subscribe to the CPSA podcast through iTunes, Google Play, and more. Neil Ryland, Chief Revenue Officer at Pekin. Welcome to the show. Cool. Thanks, Bill. It's a pleasure to be here. So uh, we're talking about that, that all-important, um, but I think possibly slightly misunderstood topic of uh, millennials in sales today, Neil. And I, I know you've got uh, lots of great opinions around this that you're going to share with our audience today. So let's jump straight in. Firstly, what, what's changed since you were in junior sales roles in the mid-2000s? How has sales leadership and the execution of, of sales developed and changed? Yeah, I think it's changed a lot. Well, I think for me personally, it's, it's changed hugely. One, I don't have anywhere near as much hair as what I used to have, which is a, which is a killer. Um, but I think if, if, for me, actually, what's really interesting is I think that the, the workplace has definitely changed, the workforce has changed, but I don't think management has necessarily changed. The role of management is still to inspire and lead people to be better than tomorrow than what they are today. I think off the back of the changes in the workplace and the workforce, what you've kind of seen is an explosion around the technology and the ways that we can communicate with, with buyers, with customers, with prospects, which has then naturally changed the way that sales are then KPI'd and measured as well. I think that's a big shift for me is that it was very boiler room when I joined. Um, you learned the hard way, school of hard knocks kind of sales approach. You know, how many dials can you make in a day? How many follow-up emails do you do? How many demos do you get on? Um, and I think that's changed hugely now uh, compared to when I first started out. Okay. So today we have, we have a generation of uh, folk who are pretty much the majority now. And if they're not quite the majority, they're, they're going to be by 2020. And that's the millennials. Mm-hmm. And they, they, uh, they're associated with uh, lots of um, unique character traits and motivations and so on and so forth. But do you think there really is a big difference between what millennials want out of their career compared to, say, Gen Xs and, and boomers? 
I think at the, at the heart of it, no. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're, all, we're all still human. Um, we all still seek the same things under Maslow's theory that, that drive us towards stability. But I think there are characteristic changes that's happened um, with the workforce that's coming through. And I think, again, a lot of that's been driven by access to technology. And you know, I'm a big fan of like Simon Sinek and his views around the instant gratification. I think that's influenced it. And for me, kind of leading a, a team of millennials and being probably on the cusp of it myself, I, I look at what, what motivated me and I looked at what my bosses when I first joined and I kind of distilled it down to three categories. Um, and I think if you go back a long period of time, you know, it's, uh, if we go back, say, 40, 50 years, you know, and I talk about my, my dad and my granddad's generation to an extent, they really valued the value of having a job. You know, and it almost didn't matter what the job was. It was the value of being able to work and go home and, and put food on the table. Um, and then you kind of have, and I kind of bucket myself sometimes this, this thing, which is I understand the value of hard work. Um, I feel very fortunate that, you know, when I've worked hard, there tends to be the rewards that kind of come off the back of that. And that gets me to keep my head down. I think the shift when you look at managing millennials is that they've actually done something quite clever, in my opinion, which is they've discovered the value of time. Um, and that means that it sometimes comes across like they um, don't care about their job, but it's actually the opposite. It's just they value their time, I think, a lot more than what previous generations have done, where you spend most of your time at work. You know, that's where you spend more time than probably what you do with your wife, your kids, your family, your dog, whatever it might be. You spend more time at work. And I think they've started to understand the value of that time far more than what previous generations have done. And off the back of that, what it seems to have inspired is that they want to be more like like T-shaped people, you know, they will, they'll have their specialist role, whether that, you know, be in sales or that be in marketing, but they also want to have the T-shape, i.e. that they have understanding and knowledge around the influence of what their role has in other areas of the business. So I think there are some fundamental changes in the way that um, they're inspired and how they're motivated, but sitting underneath it all, do they want the same things out of a career? I think, yes, definitely. I don't think there's any difference that we all want to, you know, have a, a, a enough money to have an enjoyable and sustainable lifestyle and hopefully better whatever our parents did so that we can continue to improve, you know, the world is kind of the bigger picture for me. Talk to me a bit about the, the differences. Are, are, are some of the differences more to do, that, that, that do exist, are they more to do with the how and the why we choose to work? The, 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 the purpose, the causes, the uh, engaging with the employee brand, the, uh, the, the use of technology to work smarter, not harder. Yeah, definitely. I think, I think the, the, the big thing is that, they, that they, want, they want to be challenged and they want to challenge back. They want to get to the heart of the question of, you know, start with why. Um, and, and, and that's what drives their motivation. Um, and I think the other big difference is that they're far more values driven. And I think, again, it's exposure to information. When you're exposed to a lot more, you know, whether it be fake news on Facebook or not, they still have a huge amount of exposure to things that you know, we didn't have access to at the center. You'd have to go and manually take the time to look it up. I always kind of make the joke that it's, um, it's killed a lot of pub talk because you used to be able to just make a fact up in a pub and no one could challenge you. And in today's world, you can be challenged because someone just pulls their phone out and Googles it and says, no, it wasn't. It was 1972 that that happened. Or in our case, it was which did win a cup in 1978. <laughs> but I think because of that, and that, that generation has grown up with access to that information, they will challenge things because they want to get to the heart of the truth. Um, and that's not because they're deliberately being difficult. It's because actually they want to ensure that they're doing the right thing um, and that 
because they are very values driven um, as people, it's very important for them to understand the why. And I think that's when I come back to my point at the start around has the workforce changed? Yes. Has the workplace changed? Definitely. Whether it's the, the beanbag kind of style or the um, pool tables or just the work life balance. Um, the fact that that we have had this shift in being uh, incredibly values driven as a, as a business means that millennials will be asking why to ensure that you know, we're doing the right thing as a leadership team. I can completely relate to uh, to that point about being in the pub and uh, somebody pulling out their phone. I, I remember the first time that happened to me, I was outraged. I'm like, you can't just go and Google it. Exactly. I'm in the pub. I'm, 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 tell, I'm telling you, this is absolutely gospel truth. And then, of course, it wasn't. It was something else. And uh, now, now I'm that guy. Now, now I do that in the pub. And I'm like, well, hang on a minute. I thought it was not a good and, uh, the, day, the days of never let, uh, never let the truth get in the way of a good story seem to have died, don't they? <laughs> you can't Another thing we can blame millennials for. <laughs> uh, so do, do you think that some of the stereotypes about millennials are maybe just older people complaining about young people? I do, yes. And I, and I, and I think this because, um, you know, I know that, that, that Shane, you and a lot of people share this view is that, you know, the, the generation above have always complained about the generation below. You know, whether it's linked to the music as rubbish or that they didn't work as hard and the classic, oh, you don't know how tough it was. And, and I think that is just the nature of not being being young and not being in the group anymore. Now, that doesn't mean there aren't differences, but I don't think those differences are necessarily considered bad things. Um, you could argue that working like 10 hours down in a mine or working in terrible conditions, that was really, really bad, but people did it and no one said anything. Just because we now have a generation that is more aware and more conscious um, and has more you know, corporate social responsibility as well. It doesn't mean that they're bad. It just means that they're challenging um, a workforce above them um, in ways that they haven't been challenged before. And it's around figuring out a way that how do you bring those two or even three generations in the workforce together to accomplish whatever the greater good is that the company are trying to do. Could a lot of these uh, stereotypes around millennials just be because people are seeing folk who are in an earlier stage of their life who perhaps not had some of those experiences or some of that level of maturity uh, it, it, from their perception and therefore are behaving in, in different ways? Maybe, for example, they don't have uh, a family or a mortgage yet, and, uh, and therefore they perhaps are a bit more casual when it comes to their career path. Yeah, and I, th- I think, that, again, there's two parts. I think there's also an element of, um, we've kind of also created a self-fulfilling philosophy here, which is the more we um, more we talk about millennials doing certain things, I think the more they read about it, the more they feel like they have to live up to this stereotype of what it's like. Um, so I think there's an element of, of, of that happens. If you say something enough, it becomes true. Um, uh, and when you actually sit down and have a conversation with an individual, regardless of whether they're a millennial or a baby boomer or they're in the middle like us, you know, there isn't a huge amount of difference. It's always going to be linked to the stage in your life. You know, we've we've all had our first job. And I remember in my first job, and he's still one of my mentors today, a guy called David Mead, who was the sales director of CapScan. And I came in in my probation period and I decided it might have been a good idea to have a few beers on a Wednesday. And I could be realized by Thursday at 10 a.m. when I was in his office, that wasn't a very good idea. Um, and, and I think that's that's the nature of like the stage that you're at. Like, I wasn't branded at that stage of being a millennial and not, not understanding my career or anything like that. It was just I was young and learning learning my trade coming out of university. Um, so I think there are some some things that are very, very similar and it's very much linked to your your stage in your your life. And I think it's also because we've raised the awareness and almost categorized these things about being not just being immature and then being mature and experienced and senior. We've now bucketed against the age and the year that you were born. And again, the only thing for me that's fundamentally driving a lot of that is the use of technology. 
and access to information. So the younger generation is often perceived as expecting to progress their career at an accelerated pace compared to previous generations. Uh, I mean, you, you and I, we, we mentioned earlier, we were both born in 1983, and uh, certainly when we left university, 2005, 2006, around that point, the, uh, the, the student debts were nothing like what they are today. And, and, uh, and apologies to our Canadian and American listeners here. Um, uh, the context is in, in the UK, student loans uh, uh, and the cost of tuition fees uh, increased a lot in the, in the mid-noughties. And, and so now you've got certainly folk in there in their 20s, in, in, in their career, um, they, they're, they're perceived as coming in and expecting a much higher salary to reward the fact that they're more qualified. Uh, but And, of course, perhaps that they've got this debt. How, how can leaders manage millennials' expectations around that part of it from the get-go? Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think it, the management was able to get away with not being fantastic um, in the idea of career development. Because often career development was linked to someone leaving that was above you, you know, or purely on, on like your performance in a set role. And therefore people didn't ask because if I keep working hard and I just do what I'm doing, I'll naturally progress. And if I don't, I'll kind of go somewhere else. And I think now what's been challenged by is I want to, okay, well, what are all the career paths and routes that I could take? Because I value my time um, and I, I want to be somewhere where I'm learning, I'm developing and that I'm challenged. None of those things are bad things. You know, if you, if you think about when you interview someone, if someone says, I really like being challenged, I'm very keen to learn, um, and I'm very willing to try new things, you'd be like, well, brilliant, these are all the skills we look for. And yet somehow when we then place them into the job and they ask for those things, it's seen as a negative, which doesn't make a huge amount of sense to me. Um, so the, I think the first thing to do is, 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 is to embrace it and, and not try and shut that down, um, because they are good traits to have um, in people. So how do, you, how do you address that? Well, I think it comes down to, for me, kind of like I suppose three key areas. One around the expectation management is is sitting down as, as a group um, and in the teams and we build what it means. And in this case, I did at Huddle as well and now at Pecon, what it means to be part of this business and what are the core values that we hold ourselves accountable to. And some of those core values are around being excellent always in the task we put our hand to. And if you start to create those kind of expectations that they know that until they've mastered those skills, which they're challenged by because they want to become masters at them, they know that they can't be CEO in the afternoon. You know, there's a lot of things that go around it. I think the other key part to it is around clear communication. And it sounds a bit cliche, and, um, but you know, working in a data-driven employee engagement company, I can tell you communication still comes out as often the number one reason um, why people will leave, leave businesses from their, their managers not communicating clearly. But that doesn't just mean like telling people where they are and what they're doing well, what they're doing wrong. It actually means explaining all areas of the business and what different functions are and the roles and responsibilities of those people because then they become aware of the skills that they do possess and what they don't possess. So then they don't think they should be CEO tomorrow because they're fully aware that they haven't got the skill set to go and sit in front of a VC and present. They don't know how budget sheets work. Um, They're not quite sure like what the importance around churn and and ARR growth and the difference between bookings and how our marketing team do AdWords. So there's so many things I think you can do to communicate better to the workforce. And again, it's around an understanding. They're used to having instant access to information. So when you share the details around what makes your business tick, what are the things that are really great, what are the different roles and the skills that are involved in it, and build out career paths, you tend to find actually that the problem kind of goes away because they'll self-learn and go and figure out what they need to do to get to the next level versus just saying to you, I want to be promoted, I see myself as being here. Well, they probably only see themselves being there, to our point earlier, if they're 
you know, in their early stages of their career because they don't they don't have the information to know what it should be. They're just desperate to be better. They're ambitious. They're curious. Um, and they're used to having access to information. So for me, the role of management has changed around being clearer and very transparent around those skills that are needed to progress. Well, technologies are, are there to help us better analyze and understand uh, top ways to communicate with and motivate our sales teams. Yeah, this is a good, uh, I feel like I'm cheating because I'm about to plug peak on here, Bill. Um, <laughs> but but I, I think I mean, one of the reasons if I step out of this, just talking around what we do here at, at Peacon, which is fundamentally we help organizations to take a data-driven approach to managing you know, their workforce, um, finally taking their feedback and providing you the ideas of what would help to get the best out of your team. But I think for me, it is around, it's around creating clear communication channels for getting feedback. We also have a situation where we have a whole load of managers that are looking after people that are very young, that are managers, because we kind of got expert promotion syndrome when we didn't know how to manage millennials. You know, and this is still in, still in companies today, but very apparent if you look at like even the last two years, because millennials will challenge the older workforce. What happens is that we, we think they're great, they're super talented, let's just make them a manager. And I think the old, old saying, just because you're very good at the individual contributor, you can very easily get put into a manager role, and what you become is an expert manager of that function, you know, not an expert leader. So I think technologies such as uh, Pecon uh, really support, help people going into these new roles, what it takes to lead and manage people and motivate them. The other things that we, we use and help with communication is that I think a lot of this is around because they value time. They want to work in a place where they're working with people that they can learn from and that they get on with. You know, and so we use, we've invested quite heavily in um, like tools like Slack, um, looking at tools like Workplace, so they have like a social area so they can interact and engage with things. But some of it isn't even technology. You know, it's the, it's the strictness that you apply around running like your all hands or your fireside chat meetings to share communication with the team. We run like a panel with the executive team for like Q&A. And then prior to that, we ask a question saying, what questions would you ask, you know, Neil, if what are the biggest challenges you see as an executive team in growing this company and then get them to give us the questions and we'll answer them in, a, in an all hands kind of forum. Um, outside of that, we actually encourage them to, to build their own kind of social brand. So we encourage them to, to be on Twitter. We give them lessons around building like a social media presence. So they have their Twitter profiles, their LinkedIn profiles. And we also encourage people, um, you know, to look at new, new ways of working, right? Just because I used, you know, Salesforce and LinkedIn, it doesn't mean that's the, the golden way to do it. And they'll come forward and through Ideas and Millennials, we deployed Intercom, we deployed Trello. Um, we now use Tableau across a number of areas of the business to give better data insights to the team and encourage everyone from SDR level right the way through to the senior team to, to use new technologies to drive productivity and not be afraid of failing if the, if the new tech doesn't work. Um, so I think there's a whole load of ways that you can um, use technology to support uh, productivity for millennials and you know, for, for the older workforce as well. We could keep talking about this forever, I think, Neil. <laughs> but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So just one more question for today. Uh, a big one to recap. So millennials are the, the, the future of uh, sales. They're the future of the workforce. By 2020, they, they're going to be the majority in most of the G7 countries. How do you, how do you motivate millennials? What, what, are, what are some of your top tips to leave us with uh, for, for leaders of tomorrow to ensure that uh, a millennial-dominated workforce uh, are firing on all cylinders and hitting quotas. 
I think there's four things that you, you really need to bear in mind when you're managing a, a younger workforce, a millennial workforce. The first one, like I said, is they value, they value their time. And that means that they value their freedom as well. And I think you have to question, you know, and work with them around when do you actually need them to be office and what freedom can you give them? And that, that basically means if you want to have a policy where people can kind of work from home, which I have no problem with, but they also want like a amazing culture to be part of, you know, then there, there has to be this balance in this mix, but allow and work with them and facilitate a conversation around, okay, well, how do we build an amazing sales culture? You know, um, and that wouldn't mean everyone working remotely all the time because then you wouldn't have an amazing culture sat on your sofa on your own. You know, if you're one of your core values is around how do we help you to drive learning? So my second point is give them an environment where they can learn and that they can fail um, in a safe environment. You know, again, then suddenly actually this idea of they always want to work from home and they never want to be in the office goes away because you've given them a reason that they want to be in the office, which benefits the company and benefits them in the future. So give them the freedom and, and, and the time. Um, give them the ability to fail in a safe environment. And the other thing is they constantly want to be want to be challenged in the right way. Um, so I'm I basically have a rule where I say to them, hey, nine percent of your time should be on like you know the, our bigger function, our bigger mission, and the role that we play in that. But ten percent of your time should be around how do you learn new skills, um, and that can be anything from like spending time with the marketing team. Um, it can be like take them on like Excel training courses. But we encourage them, but we ask them to report back on it and say, how are these new skills they've learned going to benefit your teammates? And again, they feel quite inspired around doing that. It plays into this T-shape um, uh, personality that you want to build. Um, and then the, the last one, but the biggest one I say is, is listen and communicate clearly. You know, don't, don't think because you've done something in the last company, it's going to work in this company. Um, take the time to, to rebuild what it means to be part of your current function, your current company work with them to build a set of values that everyone can hold themselves accountable to. Because if you're a manager that only has accountability to you, the minute you're not in the office, it doesn't work. If they only have accountability to themselves, um, then they're not thinking about the bigger team. But if you can create this culture where you work with them to build, you know, a set of values, then they're accountable to each other. And they've, that generation are very, very inspired around doing the right thing and being accountable. So that's worked very, very well for me around how do you, how do you channel this amazing energy, this willingness to learn you know, in the right direction that works for them personally and develops them as individuals, but also helps you as an organization um, to get to where you need to be? So freedom, give the ability to, to, to fail in a safe environment, challenge them, um, and listen carefully. Well, listeners, I hope you've been listening carefully today because uh, that was some pretty awesome insights there from Neil Ryland. That just leaves me to say today, Neil... Thank you very much for being the guest. My pleasure. Thanks for the time, Bill. And listeners, until next time, as always, happy selling. Thank you for listening to Sales Pro Chat Podcast, brought to you by the Canadian Professional Sales Association.